What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, three full segments of answering listener questions. If you want to get involved, you can just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter whenever you have a question on your mind, or you can wait for Monday mornings when I put out the tweet soliciting questions. If you respond to that tweet, basically 100% chance I'll answer your question, but you don't have to wait for that. You can always just tweet at me whenever you have an NBA question, Blazer question on your mind, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. So that's what we're going to do today like we do every Monday evening, Mailbag Mondays, your questions answered by me. Let's get it started. This first question comes from Bruise Clues at Bruise underscore Clues on Twitter who asks, Whenever the Ducks aren't playing well, I drink an Oregon beer and they play better. Is there something I can drink that will make Whiteside box out? Terry Stotts drinks amber beers. And Whiteside does not box out. So the question, the answer is not amber beers. Because that's what Terry's drinking after games. Drinking amber lagers. My joke for this was uh, gin and tonics because they sneakily have a lot of empty calories, but they seem like a classic drink in the way that Hassan Whiteside gets classic box score stats, but they feel like empty calories. My actual answer for good juju to turn it around, I don't know, milk, glass of milk, working man's beverage. It's not even a good answer, but that's what I got. We got a ton of questions today, so I got to keep it moving. Next question comes from CM Duff at the Juice Master on Twitter, who asks, is there any value in keeping Hassan Whiteside through the trade deadline, allowing his contract to expire, and using the money to sign one or two solid players in free agency? Are there even one or two potential targets available this summer? The 2020 free agency class isn't super strong. Uh, there's probably not a ton of, to use a Neil Olshay term, needle-moving type guys, but the value in letting Hassan Whiteside and even Kent Bazemore's contracts just expire and not moving them is the Blazers could come away with about $15 million in, in, uh, $15 million in cap space. That's not the exact number. There's some, it depends on whether Mario Hazonia opts in. It depends on Rodney Hood's going to opt in, so that's that's happening. But uh, there there is some wiggle room with that number. Well, let's say roughly $15 million. You could sign two guys to what amounts to two mid-level deals, you know, seven or eight million bucks. I think there could be some value in that because that sort of mid-range free agent is more of the the type of person, type of player the Blazers have been able to lure to the Northwest, not people who are making top-tier money. But on a in a weak free agency class, um, I worry that that 15 or so million dollars isn't going to be super, super valuable. So I would say that there's probably more value in trading Hassan Whiteside and getting back someone on a long-term, a longer-term deal, just because his $27 million could be sort of leveraged to turn into more money than the $15 million if you let it, if you let him and Bazemore's contract run out. But it's not, um, it might not be totally easy to trade Hassan Whiteside as uh, you'll see more when some of your other fellow listeners have asked questions that address that exact topic. In fact, Thomas Cogswell, at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter asks, how likely is it that the Blazers won't be able to find suitors for either Kent Bazemore or Andazon Whiteside, and they end up staying the entire season? 
the national media seems to be a couple of national media members, Sam Amick and and Brian Windhorst, have both said that it's un, they feel it's unlikely that the Blazers make moves. They're starting to think that the Blazers are are not super likely to be uh, in heavily involved in the trade market. So I think increasingly, not just because they've reported that, but just because of how the math works. If the Blazers don't trade for Kevin Love, who there are just fewer and fewer people you can trade a $27 million man like Hassan Whiteside to. Seems like the Blazers would be very unlikely to go chase someone like Andre Drummond. Blake Griffin's season is over, and I'd say his career is somewhat at a I don't know, in jeopardy is not the right word, but his certainly career as an all-star type player is at a crossroads after undergoing another knee surgery that's going to end his season. There just aren't a ton of names on the list of players who are making in that high 20s type money, middle 20s type money who, who teams want to give away. I think it's going to be tr- hard to trade us on Whiteside. I've mentioned that before, but as we creep towards the deadline, it's, it seems increasingly realistic that it'll be hard to trade him. Trading Kent Bazemore seems like a good idea. He struggled a little bit, but then you look at the rest of the Blazers' wing core, and unless they bring back someone who is a real contributor, getting rid of Whiteside for, or excuse me, getting rid of Bazemore for without getting back probably two two players, two parts that can contribute, doesn't seem that enticing. The Blazers are hating, holding on to their playoff hopes by a thread. They've got two expensive parts that, as we get closer to the deadline, might be more difficult to move. So while I thought it was a near guarantee that Whiteside would be traded a few months ago, as we creep up to the deadline, I'm saying that it is, I'm probably going to lean that it's more likely that those gentlemen are on the team after the trade deadline than off it. Surprise. Next question comes from Jaron Abelson. At Jaron underscore AB on Twitter, who asks, Any thoughts on the disconnect in messaging between those who say the Blazer sources are communicating that they'll stand pat the deadline, Windhorse, Bobby Marks, Sam Amick, and those that saying they'll definitely make a move, quick, Chris Haynes. Does it reflect management versus players thinking? It's... Uh, it isn't players thinking. Uh, I mean, I think Chris Haynes reported that he thinks the Blazers will try to make a move to appease Damian Lillard, but I think they'll be aggressive in attempting it, whether they'll just ship Hassan Whiteside out uh, and and sort of like get worse in the near term seems unlikely because they would want to, by making that move, appease Dame and get better. It's just what can you get better with? Um, I think Haynes was more specifically talking about the Blazers going to be try, really, you know, try to make a move. They were going to make a, a concerted effort to see what was out there. Uh, Winhurst and Bobby Marks, I probably think that they have a good sense of what's happening with other teams as opposed to the inside. And I would push back. I don't think Jason Quick reported that the Blazers are going to make a move. I think he reported that the Blazers would like to upgrade the roster if possible while staying diligent to the core that they think they've established. So I don't think there's a disconnect. I think there's just the difference. And I don't think it's players versus management. I think it's specifically uh, perception from within Portland and perception from talking to teams that have inquired with Portland outside of the team. Next question comes from Logan Gillis, who asks, 
I think I know the answer to this, but can't find it online. Could we deal Hassan or Bazemore's expiring contract on draft day, or do we need to move them prior to the deadline? Uh, They're expiring contracts, so you need to move them prior to the deadline. Those deals that happen on draft day, while they're agreed to during this league year, they're not allowed to be executed until after the league year, which happens uh, July 1st. And on July 1st, Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore will be free agents. So it's either trade deadline or nothing, Logan. Next question comes from the Under Armour Gamer at Under Armour Gamer on Twitter who asks, what's the best and worst trade scenarios of this trade season? And how do you feel about a guy like Brandon Ingram? Actually, Ingram spelled not like Brandon Ingram spells his name, but I'm going to assume you mean Brandon Ingram there, Under Armour Gamer. Um, I think best and worst trade scenarios of the season is maybe too broad of a question for me to answer in this podcast format. But let me say this. The best trade is getting back a probably multiple young assets that can contribute this season to help the Blazers push towards the playoffs because the players and I don't know if the ownership or management, but certainly the players, certainly Damian Lillard wants to make the playoffs. So young players that can help now and are under contract moving forward. And the worst trade scenario is something that uh, is something similar to the Aaron Aflalo deal of a few years ago. And that would be giving up young parts and a draft pick to get back, back a veteran who appears to help and then leaves for nothing. How do I feel about Brandon Ingram? Uh, wish he'd gone to Carolina, go Tar Heels. Um, he's really good and I can't imagine that New Orleans trades him at this deadline. I think they're going to pay him a ton of money this summer. And additionally, I don't think the Blazers have the parts to acquire him. He's on a rookie deal to get him. They probably have to give up. I don't think they have the young assets that the Pelicans would want. So they probably have to trade CJ McCollum and that's just not happening. Next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, Looks like the Magic may want to trade Aaron Gordon. Thoughts? What do you think of his value is on the market? Despite his up and down year so far, would you make a move for him? If so, what would it take to get AG in a Blazers uniform? So Aaron Gordon is a curious case. Um, He's a guy who, when I watch him, I feel like he actively tries to take difficult shots. And he's not a very good shooter, which which is quite a formula. I feel like he hurries into bad shots way too much. He's also an incredible athlete. I think he could turn into a really, really good defender. Um, he's a creative ball handler for someone of his size and build. Uh, he's not like a great pick-and-roll maestro, but he can do stuff with the ball in his hands. Obviously an incredible dunker. Um, sometimes an okay shooter, although, like I said, I think his shot selection is a little bit wonky. Uh, it's hard to say what they would want for him. I think I read a report, and I wish I knew who this was because I prefer to give credit to reporters when they do this, but... I think it was Sam Amick who said that there's speculation that the Magic might try to move off of Gordon because they have Jonathan Isaac and they overlap. But I think Jonathan Isaac's injury that's going to keep him out for an extended period makes it unlikely that AG is available because the Magic probably want to make the playoffs. I think making the playoffs back-to-back seasons would be important for a franchise like that. And what do you give up? It's probably some combination of your young players. It's probably Anthony Simons. And like maybe CJ, just because the Blazers don't have any many other tradable parts. I don't think I even if it's just straight up CJ, I don't see that as being a super positive deal for the Blazers. Although I I can understand if you do. Uh, 
But for me, that's um, I'm just not a I'm not a huge Aaron Gordon believer. I think he's I I think he kind of is what he is. He's a useful player, but he's not an All Star or even a borderline All Star. Okay, next segment coming back. More of your questions. All right, it's still Mailbag Monday here at Locked on Blazers, and we're going to keep it rolling with more of your questions. This next one comes from Jonathan at Sass on Twitter who asks, is the next disruptive NBA shift to do away with traditional starting lineups? It seems more important to have the right mix of players at all times rather than simply the best guys start and the bench tries to hold on when they rest. I would, I really like this question, Jonathan. I would push back on it being this disruptive new NBA shift. Well, I do kind of understand what you're saying, which is have eight good players and use them interchangeably. I would argue that the best players and best teams in the league have adopted a strategy not too dissimilar to this. In fact, the Warriors' quote-unquote death lineup for the best team in the NBA over the last half decade didn't start their best five players. Andre Iguodala came off the bench, and he would come off the bench and transform that team into the best team in the NBA to one of the best teams ever in the NBA. The Los Angeles Clippers currently use something similar to this by steadfastly insisting on bringing Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell off the bench. Trez is pretty clearly their best big, and they won't start him. Lou Williams... The way he makes the Hall of Fame is by being a six-man, so he's going to be a six-man for life. And I would say the Clippers, while they're struggling a little bit right now, are still, at the very worst, the fourth-best team in the Western Conference and a team that certainly has some championship equity. So I, I, I agree with what you're saying, like in the, the idea that I think there is there's some truth that traditional starting lineups are not necessary, I think that we've already maybe seen that shift. Even the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, they didn't start Jason Terry. They started Deshaun Stevenson. So yeah, it's been happening in a while. Okay, next one comes from Hotai Kim at Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter who asks, are you surprised there hasn't been a players-only meeting with how bad the season is going? Do you believe these meetings help? The Knicks did one in December and have played much better. Just beat the Heat. Your thoughts? Yeah, the players-only meeting thing is kind of this, like, it's a dramatic version of just guys talking. It's like this, it's a formalized version of coaches leave the locker room and players have a discussion with one another where they say, yo, we're playing terribly. So I don't think, I'm, I'm not super surprised because the formalization of it, I think, is some sort of admission that the season has gone down the toilet and the Blazers aren't maybe aren't capable of admitting that. Um, but do I think they help? No, no, right? It helps if you play better. Um, I don't think an airing of grievances where Hassan Whiteside and Anthony Tolliver and Kent Bazemore tell Damian Lillard why they don't feel like things are going right would help this team. Uh, I think better players would help this team. But I do think that the Blazers, while they maybe not have had a formal players-only meeting, have had plenty of moments where players have had to got to say their part in the locker room. I'm working on a story that maybe doesn't illustrate exactly this, um, and I'll write about it on NBC Sports, and I'll certainly talk about it on this podcast, but they have moments where they've got to say their part, and, and the leaders of the team have listened to players say their part. Next question comes from Timmy, at PDXTimmy on Twitter, who asks, if the Blazers' record is still poor late in the season, what... Will that have any effect on the return dates and overall game minutes for Nurkic and Collins? 
Good question, Timmy. I don't think you listen to this podcast, but I appreciate you taking the time to send in a thoughtful answer. My guess on this is that Nurkic is going to come back and play what is reasonable according to the Blazers medical staff for him to play pretty much regardless. Mostly because he really wants to get back out on the floor. He wants to prove he can still play. He wants to see his body still be able to do it. But I do think that there will be at some point some sort of tough decision making depending on where the Blazers are in the standings whether they say, do we rush this back two days before the All-Star break? Do we definitely wait for after the All-Star break? Do we wait for a home game? You know, those type of small decisions that could affect, you know, three or four game difference. But overall game minutes, I think that'll be decided by the coaching. I think that'll be decided by the medical staff absent the standings. I think they'll play Nurk as much as they can. Um, because I don't think this team's going to tank. I think they're going to chase the eighth seed for better or for worse. The Collins thing's a big question mark. I know he wants to play. He told Jason Quick, I believe the quote was, they're going to have to tell me not to play. I do think there's an outside chance the Blazers medical staff tells Zach Collins not to play. So I, I think Nurkic, he will not, no effect. The, the, the Blazers record, which let me just tell you, it's going to be poor late in the season. They're not very good. Um, I don't think Nurkic would be affected by that poor record. I do think Zach Collins, there could be some decision-making with Zach Collins based on the record and based on his shoulder needing a little more time, whereas Nurkic has almost had a full year. Next question, at Nick Thomas, Nick T249 on Twitter, who asks, how will Neil Olshay spin this season as not completely his fault? Dude, that's easy, Nick. He will say that three starters got injured. He will not mention that one of those starters got injured last March. He will say that it was they never had a moment when they had their best five players on the floor and they they were done in by the unfortunate injury luck that took away, who could have foreseen 39-year-old Pau Gasol coming off foot surgery, not being healthy to play an NBA season. And certainly they've had some terrible injury luck. The injuries to Zach Collins and Rodney Hood were bad injuries, but this team knew what they were and knew Yusuf Nurkic wasn't coming back until February at least and talked about championships in September. But that one's an easy for Neil. He'll blame injuries. Next one, next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks, There have been calls for U of O, that's University of Oregon, fans to sign Kenny Wooten or trade for Dylan Brooks. Kenny Wooten just signed with the Knicks, by the way. Since, since Matthew asked this question, he signed hours later. How far does your college fandom carry into the NBA for players from your alma mater, i.e. Little? Which former Tar Heels currently in the NBA would fit best on the Blazers roster? Uh, I didn't go to UNC. I grew up in Chapel Hill. I'm a townie, but I went to Lewis and Clark College. We do not have any NBA players from Lewis and Clark College. Um, it, it doesn't carry that far. I root for UNC guys, um, but I don't like. I don't outwardly root for like. I'm, I'm, you've, if you listen to this podcast, I'm not calling for more Nazir Little because he went to UNC. Um, my fandom is relatively rational. I like players in the NBA. I have trouble rooting for teams just being around around the game so much. I don't I, I have no emotional connection to any of the jerseys. Uh, which former Tar Heel currently NBA would fit best in the Blazers roster? Y'all know the answer to this one. It's Ed Davis. Just because they could use any tall person who plays hard and Ed Davis is both. Next question comes from Jeffrey Hendrickson at TrippyCat503 on Twitter who asks, 
So at the moment, the Blazers' backcourt is very strong. Is it wrong for the Blazers to make CJ part of the untouchable core? It seems to me he would be one of our best trading chips to have a more talent, more balanced roster for next season. Is it time to change the recipe? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be, right? <laughs> uh, I did a trade value uh, where I, I, I ranked every player in the Blazers roster by how much value they would have in a trade. I ranked CJ third behind Nurk and... Damien Lillard, I called him untouchable, but shouldn't be. I kind of agree with you that maybe the the Blazers' route to contention is getting rid of CJ McCollum. I do think it's hard to get back equal value for someone of his skill set and his pay grade. It's just really hard to trade a non-superstar and get back the types of things you would want that would keep your team really competitive. Um I also think the Blazers almost certainly would be worse in the short term trading C.J. McCollum. Anthony Simons could be ready. He's not ready now. So I agree with you that C.J. should be available and the Blazers probably should, if not now, this summer and always be open to the idea of trading C.J. McCollum. I just think that they value having a baseline of competitiveness that CJ allows them to have. And he was so damn good in the playoffs last year that there was no chance that he was available the summer after the type of performance he had. In fact, they gave him $100 million instead. Okay, next question comes from Neil Olshay's burner at Paint in PDX on Twitter, who asks, Jalen Hordes looks not bad in his most recent action. Given the roster limitations at wing, do you think he has a chance to be converted to a regular contract and spend the rest of the year with the team? I would kind of like the Blazers to do that. I think Jalen Horde, I used to, I think I joked like 10 days ago that he was at least shaped like an NBA player. He is not really ready for major minutes in a rotation, but he is the right size. Like he's been playing backup center, mostly because the Blazers roster is just in a nightmare situation. Uh, but he's the right size to play three or four, or I guess in this weird break the glass emergency, five in the league. Um, he's shown some some shake, some some uh, athleticism to get to the rim in the right situations. He doesn't look totally lost on defense, although he's certainly not an NBA-level defender at this point. Yeah, I think if they still have a roster spot open after the All-Star break and Jalen ex- uses up all his 45 days of eligibility, yeah, I think it would make sense to convert him to a, uh, to a full contract uh, you, you, he becomes a restricted free agent, allows the, the uh, Blazers to re-sign him if they want, um, allows them to stay with the team, allowed him to be eligible in the playoffs. If they, if they get through the All-Star break and the buyout market doesn't give them what they want and they still have a roster spot, I'm all for giving that spot to Jalen Horde. All right, third segment. Close out the show answering more of your questions. All right, still Lockdown Blazers, still Mike Richmond, still Pass First Point Guard, and it's still Mailbag Monday answering all of your questions. This next one comes from Douglas Holstrom at Dougie Froth on Twitter, who asks, I heard an interesting offseason trade of CJ for Ben Simmons of Philadelphia. Do you think that could help both teams? I don't like it at first. I didn't like it at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I was intrigued. Doug, Dougie Froth. I think that was me, dude. I think that was me on last week's mailbag when someone asked me about trading for Ben Simmons and I said that you would have to wait for the offseason to trade Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum. I think you heard that from me. 
So yeah, I think I think it would help. I think it's good. I think it was my idea. All right, next question comes from BMAX at BMAXPDX who asks, when will we see Rodney Hood on the bench cheering on the Blazers? We miss him. BMAX, I asked someone with the Blazers this question this week and their response was, I don't know. And it was gen- it was genuinely a little bit surprised that Rodney not wasn't back because he's dealing with major surgery. He's not super mobile. Like that, that's one of the big issues with the Achilles. Uh, you'll remember that, that, uh, Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles on March 5th and didn't make an appearance for about a month. And he came back in the playoffs um, and he's uh, he wore the Iron Man mask. It was a, a quite a scene. Um, so I, I would give Rodney a little more time. It's been less than, depending on when you listen to this, it's been about 35 days since Hood tore his Achilles. Uh, he's not Wesley Matthews because not too many people are. It's not the playoffs. Um I think there's just, they haven't been home a ton since he got hurt either. They were on the road a lot after that. So I don't think there's been a nice stretch for him to come back. I would expect it relatively soon. Um, I'm not, but I'm not surprised. Like when I asked uh, someone with the Blazers that and they were like, yeah, it, it, I haven't seen him. It's, um, they were, their idea was like, yeah, w- he should be back soon, but there's nothing firm. But I would bet. If I had to guess, I would say after the All Star break, I'd say he takes. I would say he takes two full months away from the team, just because it's a tough injury and the Blazers are in a tough spot right now. It's not the playoffs. It doesn't. He doesn't need to come back for this dramatic moment. Next question comes from CJ at Friggin Winning on Twitter, who asks, "Who's playing better basketball right now, the Trailblazers or the Tar Heels?" Oh man. Uh, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I am a born, bred, dead Tar Heel, as they say. Um, they're really bad. I think this is the worst Carolina basketball team of my lifetime. I'm not 100% sure about that. One year, they went 8-20. and 20. Right now, they're 8-8. Eight and eight. So, as Nazir Little told me today when we were talking about it, he said, they ain't, getting, they ain't going no 8-20, and 20, man. Shut up. Um but the Carolina's super bad. This is the worst Carolina basketball team of my 32 years on earth. I think, I'm pretty sure. This is not the worst Blazer team of even my time living in Portland the last 15 years. They were worse with Zebo and rookie Brandon Roy when they were 30 and 52 or 32 and 50. So I'd say the Tar Heels. Blazers are bad, but uh, Carolina's like actually terrible. Final question of the show. Mike Stand, at Real Mike Stand on Twitter, who says, who asks, where does Anthony Toller land for you in Blazers' all-time starting center rankings? He has to be ahead of Blazers legends Jamal McGlure and Earl Barron, or is this just recency bias? So Mike asks this question on Monday afternoon, I, 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 like I say at the top of the show, I solicit these questions on Monday morning and Mike sent this in Pacific time, like early afternoon, mid, maybe like 1130. So mid late morning. And at the time I was making little notes and I'm saying like, oh yeah, I've got to make fun of Craig Smith. Definitely get a little Craig Smith reference in there. Probably should shout out Ruben Boomshay Boomshay and Shavlik Randolph. Probably going to make fun of Hashim Thabit if I can get a chance to make fun of Hashim Thabit in there. I probably got to shout out Joel Freeland. Shouts to my dude Joel. 
always wore the fresh Jordan 1s. But then, Mike, hours after you asked this, I went to the Blazer game and Anthony Tolver had his best game of the season, his career high for points in the quarter, for points in a quarter, when he bailed out the Blazers from what would have been a nightmare loss to the Charlotte Hornets was a monster fourth quarter that included multiple three-pointers, two offensive rebounds, a driving reverse layup on Cody Zeller. So you know what? Where Anthony Tolliver ranks? Just behind Arvita Sabonis and Bill Walton for the third greatest Blazer center all time. No, I don't know. Um, he's in- incredibly out of position at center. It's so it's so wild to me that the Blazers are comfortable rolling with him at center. They just they won this game with him at center, right? They beat a terrible Hornets team who's on the end of a West Coast trip. Uh, who the Blazers were up 17 in the first half, just totally blew this game. Uh, terrible third quarter. They give up nine three pointers. They looked like they were going to have what someone mentioned last week their worst loss of the season. This was going to be up there. This was going to be a, a capital W, worst, worst loss of the season. Anthony Tolliver bailed them out playing center. So, yeah, he gets a shout-out. He gets – I didn't get to – I was going to get my jokes off. I kind of still got them off anyways because it's my podcast and I do what I want. But Tolliver, this is the – listen – he played the best game he's played all year, best game he's ever played in a Blazer uniform. I can't be mean to him in this exact moment. This is hours after that. But yeah, he's incredibly out of position at, at, at center. It is an absolute nightmare at center. And quite frankly, he's been bad all year, even playing his normal position. But he's home free. Anthony Tolliver, third greatest center in Blazer history, at least until next week when we can be mean to him again. Thank you all for submitting your questions. I love Mailbag Monday. It's my favorite episode of the week. I truly, truly appreciate all of you who contribute, all of you who join in on this fun discussion, letting me make fun of some of your questions, answer some as serious as possible, and some with only jokes. You never know what you'll get in the grab bag. If you want to be involved in the grab bag, you know what to do. Just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, or... Follow me on Twitter. Watch the skies Monday morning when I solicit questions. I'll put out the call. You hit me up. I'll answer them here. I got 100% of them this week. I'm, I, I usually bat 1,000. So if you want me to answer your questions, say your Twitter handle on the internet, hit me up at Mike G. Rich. I really appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.